morning. My name is Curtis Hepler. This morning I'll be reading uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. This is the word of God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Y'all may be seated. Well, just to echo really quick what Ryan said at the front end, just thank you guys so much um, just for, for loving us well and caring for us. Um, while we were sick last week, uh, I was telling Ryan, I thought, you know, the whole point of having two pastors was so if one of us gets sick, the other one's there to be able to preach, but it doesn't really account for when both of them are down and get COVID. Um, so, but we're so thankful for Ryan uh, Connell, who stepped in last week. For Ryan is a pastor at, at Vessel, which is a, a sister church of ours in town. And Ryan, actually, for me personally, has been a mentor of mine for over 10 years, actually even beyond that. Whenever I was in college, I, when I was in and out of church, he was the college pastor and youth pastor at College Hills Baptist at the time. And uh, I remember just going there on some Sundays because I didn't have a car and it was close and I felt guilty. And he would reach out to me on Facebook and I ghosted his messages. Uh, and, and, and just, Lord has a funny sense of humor because now he's like one of my best friends. And so we're thankful for Ryan and just him stepping in uh, last week. And I hope you guys were encouraged. So anyways, go ahead. And if you don't, haven't turned there already, you want to turn to Colossians chapter 3 verses 18 through 21 is where we're going to be today. And so if you are join, just joining us for the first time today, we're so glad that you are here. Um, but we are picking back up in our series in Colossians. So you might have remembered um, before the Christmas season, we were going through the book of Colossians, and we took a break from Advent and then uh, some standalones in January. But we are back in it. We're going to finish up this book. Uh, and I'm excited to be back in the book of Colossians. And so we picked a really light, easy topic for today as we jump back in. Um, but I'm excited to see how we can see how the gospel uh, is a great influence for us as we think about the family. And so as we're heading back into the book of Colossians, just a really quick recap of, of where we've been. Uh, Colossians is this book that talks about all the supremacy of Christ in all things. That no matter um, what are we doing in life, where we're going, the utmost important aspect of our life is Jesus. And nothing else and no one else and no other philosophy, no other worldview can hold a candle to who Jesus is. In chapter 1, uh, Paul talks about Jesus is the preeminent one. He's the creator of all things. He's the head of the church, the body of Christ. It's only through Jesus alone in which we are reconciled back to God. He nailed the debt of our sin to the cross. Um, only Jesus can deal with our sins and brokenness. We can't earn our way back to God, but rather it is only through Christ and Christ alone are we able to be made righteous and redeemed in which we can now have this relationship uh, with him. And, it's this, I, and, and Colossians also talks about um, this temptation that many of us might face, and they certainly faced it back then, uh, of mixing other things with our worship of Jesus. When we have a little bit of the world, a little bit of Jesus, we really don't have any of Jesus. And Colossians is talking about how only Jesus, which is the title of our sermon series, only Jesus is who we want to call Lord. It's a letter that warns us the pitfalls of uh, syncretism, of mixing other different uh, worldviews with our faith. But what Paul is doing in this letter is that he's elevating the person of Jesus and is helping us see as followers of him why he is enough. 
why he is the only one we need uh, for, for life, for salvation, and not just for salvation, but also to live a life um, that is abiding in him. And in the verse right before um, the one that we're going to be looking at today, in verse 317, he says that, uh, in whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God uh, through him, uh, God the Father through him. This is talking about this idea that the gospel is not just the gateway for salvation. Yes, we need Jesus' death on the cross um, to pay the penalty for our sins. Yes and amen, but the, this, is, this verse is also talking about how we need the gospel in a daily life. We need God's grace. Because Jesus has resurrected, we too now are new creations living a resurrected life in which we are learning to follow him by the power of the Holy Spirit and seeking by his grace to be constantly dependent upon him to look more like him. So the gospel is for an everyday thing. The gospel isn't just uh, the gateway but rather it's the means in how to live a holy life. And so when we get to today's text now, when we're talking about the family, um, as we look about how does the gospel influence our family life, as those of us who are our spouses, as those of us who are kids, we cannot isolate the rest of the, the letter um, as we look at these few verses and commands today. Because if we do, we're going to get some kind of hijacked, hybrid, like works-based uh, rule of life that, that, that we might apply to our family. It really has nothing to do with Jesus. But what we're going to see today is that hopefully is that the family has everything to do with Jesus. The family has everything to do with Jesus. Now, just really quick, by way, it means of just kind of a caveat. I know some of you in here are single um, or, or you're, you're dating somebody. Um, the temptation right now is like, well, we're talking about the family today. I, I don't, I'll, I'll just check out, check the ESPN for, I don't Actually, is anyone even playing right now? I don't know. Um, Right? Today's a gospel issue. Yes, we will be talking about the family. But, but just as much as we're talking about the family, we're talking about the gospel and who we are in Christ. And so, so th- there's something for you here today. And, and, and I know some of you in here as well, um, you're single parents. Uh, you're a single mom. You're a single dad. Uh, or maybe you're, you're a grandparent who's raising your grandkids. Um, let me tell you also today that that this is for you today as well. Um, a text like this for some of you guys might, might stir up memories of, of just your own broken families, of your own brokenness uh, with your own parents. Um, let, me, let me tell you on the front of it that, that hope, my hope is for us today as we talk about who we are in Christ in light of the family, um, that God sees you and he, and he loves you and he knows you. Um, and it's also super good that you are here at the local church because you'd be amazed where we might feel an absence of a father, an absence of a mother, an absence of both. How God is so gracious through the body of Christ in helping uh, meet what might be lacking. And so we are glad for you that you're here. And today is just as much for you um, as it is for everyone else. Okay, so I wanted to share those things on the front end. But so one of the reasons why we preach through books of the Bible is because like when we get to certain, like we can't pick, I can't pick and choose what we want to talk about. We let the word of God dictate what we're going to talk about today. Uh, first off, I'm not creative enough to come up with my own material. So uh, I, we need, I need the word of God for that. But we want to be, as students of the word, as we seek to follow Jesus, we want to uh, evaluate what his word says. And so when we get to texts that might seem kind of just like 
kind of weird or maybe you just like co- kind of culturally they kind of like doesn't like really like like make sense or seems maybe even for some of you feels like it's a bit antiquated we have to talk about it we when we come to these things we have to talk about these things and so um so when we get to a text like this it's it's, it's super easy can maybe like we to bring our own uh, misunderstandings or presuppositions of what we think this means um also when we get to a text like this it might be super easy for us to be like all right Today, we're going to talk about five tips into a better marriage, um, or four ways to be a better kid. Or it might even, we could even phrase it like a BuzzFeed article, like one of those clickbait articles. Hey, you won't believe how this tip saved my marriage, right? It's, it could be super easy just to go down that road. But, but I think the harder thing for us to do is to, to look in the heart. The harder thing for us to do, I think the more important for us thing to do is to really understand who we are in Christ, because ultimately, our understanding of who we are in Christ will play itself out in how we're a husband, and how we're a wife, and how we're a kid. Who we are in Christ is ultimately going to be the thing that's going to help us walk in these things that Paul is talking about today. Ultimately, behavior will flow from what's in the heart. Behavior, what we do, will precede from what is in here. And so whatever we believe about who we are in Christ will have a direct impact on how we relate to our spouses, how we relate to our wife, how we relate um, to our kids, how we relate to our husbands. And so we have to first understand, like I said, Paul never intended um, for, to give these commands in isolation, in divorce, in detachment of who we were in Christ. And so that is so important for us to understand as we look at the scope of these different commands. So first off, then on a macro level, who are we in Christ? What is it that we need to know? We go back to November. Um, Ryan uh, talked about uh, verses 12 through 17. And right at the beginning, in this, this whole section, he's talking about how is a church, the body, how are we to be one another? And he talks about putting on love, you know, let the peace of Christ dwell in, richly in you, uh, sing songs to one another, preach and admonish one another, all these good and things that are fruit for us as believers to walk in. But before he says any of that, he says at the beginning of verse 12, he says, put on then as what? God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now, I don't want to re-preach all that Ryan shared, but each of these identity statements are incredibly important for us to consider as we ask the question, who are we in Christ? Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and and beloved. What does it mean that we are God's chosen ones? It means that we, all of us who are in Christ, were called out of the darkness of our sin. All of us were on a trajectory of pursuing our sin, walking in darkness, all these different things that were away from God. And Christ calls us out of our darkness. He chooses us. We didn't do anything to earn our salvation. We know that, right? We didn't do anything to earn our salvation. Christ calls us out of our darkness. He brought us out while we are pursuing sin, as Romans says, as we are walking in unrighteousness, he calls us out out of his love. He chose us. He sets us apart. And, 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 and we had nothing to do with it. It was simply by his grace. That's, that, that's true for you if you're in Christ. He chose you. He called you out. And he also says that you are holy. And what holy means that you are set apart. Typically, when we think about Things that are holy, we, we think about like, oh, I've got to, all these different behaviors, all these different things I've got to do to make myself righteous. But in actuality, yes, we do want to aim to live a holy life. But in position, we are holy because Christ is holy. 
Christ's sacrifice on the cross, him dying in our place, ultimately was the sacrifice needed for us to be right with God. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might be the righteousness of God. Christ is our righteousness. And when Christ is our righteousness, we are set apart and we are holy. And what that means is that we are also beloved. Beloved is this idea that we are welcomed into God's family. You ever know that person who's just a super welcoming and warm person? Every time you're around them, it's just like, you're like, oh, I just feel so loved. It's like that times infinity. Uh, This idea that we are welcomed into God's family because of what Christ has done for us. And it's not just a tolerating. It's not just like God just like kind of like, fine. I know they're going to mess up again this week, but come on. No. It's a, it's a, a complete embracing of. It's, you are beloved. He loves you. He's, you are beloved. And so this is who we are in Christ. This does not change. If you are in Christ, this is true of you now. I don't care what kind of week you've had. I'll tell you this. The past month and a half has been high highs and low lows for us at the Carroll household. All right? This does not change. You are holy, chosen, and beloved. And the crux of our identity in Christ, this access that we get to God because of what Jesus has done for us, we see a picture of a Savior who was not self-asserting, He was rather self-sacrificial. He was not wanting to think about himself, but rather he lowered himself and he gave himself up and he sacrificed himself. He lowered himself to our state so that we may be raised up to his. Chosen, holy, beloved. We've obtained these rights, not because we've done anything, but rather because Christ has done everything. And so because then, because then, were these things because our Savior lived this life of self-sacrifice, a life that thought more of others than himself. As we seek to follow Jesus, we too now live a life in which we are self-sacrificial in all that we do, including in how we relate to the family, including in how we are spouses, and including in how we are children. A Christian life, a Christian family is marked by the same self-sacrifice that we see Christ shown towards us. And the more that we see that self-sacrifice towards us, that he's done for us, the more we are showing that in our families. Uh, This idea of of self-assertion, self-giving, N.T. Wright, who's a theologian, he says it really well in this, talking specifically about this text. He said, the Stoics base their teaching on the law of nature. This is the way of the world. This, this, this is the way the world is. So this is how you must live in harmony with it. But Paul bases his on the law of the new nature. Christ releases you to be truly human, and you must now learn to express your true self according to the divine pattern, not in self-assertion, but in self-giving. So these commands that Paul gives, wives, be in submission to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. These would have been incredibly countercultural to the Colossians. So specifically for women back in ancient times, back in early Rome and in the first century, they were more so seen as property. They were kind of second-class citizens to men. It was a man's world. 
And so women were kind of more seen as properties, especially even both in Greek and Jewish households. It was more about the woman was, the woman was a means for me to get what I want, to me to get ahead or to for whatever. And so this, these commands were incredibly countercultural um, to, the, to the audience. And what's interesting, the scriptures actually elevate the status of women. The scriptures actually give more worth and value to women than were uh, apparently esteemed back then, or apparently shown back then. You look in 1 Peter, uh, when Paul's giving a similar command of husbands and wives and how you're to relate to one another, he says, that the, your, he says to husbands, be gentle to your wives, because they also are heirs with you of the grace of life. Meaning, hey, they are just as much as in Christ as you are. There's no first and second class citizens in the kingdom of God, right? You both are in Christ. If you both are in Christ, you both are inheritors of the grace of God. Uh, Paul even says a similar sentiment in Colossians 3.11 when he says that here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. Obviously, he doesn't specifically say men and women, but the, the point is clear. If you are in Christ, There is no such thing as a first-class citizen and a second-class citizen. Men and women are of equal value and are of equal beneficiaries of of Christ's self-sacrifice. And so what what, what Paul is actually doing here is he's elevating women. He's elevating, hey, men and women are are equal uh, in the kingdom of God. Both are chosen, holy, and beloved. And, and what Paul does, he says that he, he, he lays us out that men and women are equal in value, but at the same time, both have a different and unique roles that are meant to be complementary to one another. And God designed this complementary nature of both men and women, and, and specifically in our text today, uh, husband and wife, for the flourishing of the body, for the flourishing of the family. And so we need to get in our minds and get our heads that that difference of roles does not mean uh, difference in value. Difference in roles does not mean difference in value. It's just there's just the way that the Lord has designed things. And so the imperatives that he gives here, it does show somewhat of a hierarchy in the leadership of the family unit. But the, the hierarchy does not denote a greater or lesser in the kingdom of God. If you are a teenager in here, or a kid, and you've put your hope and faith in Christ, you are holy, chosen, and beloved. If you're, if you're a husband in here, and you put your hope in Christ, you are holy, chosen, and beloved. If you're a wife, if you're a single parent, if you're single, and you put your hope in Christ, you are so, uh, holy, chosen, and beloved. But like I said, Christ, or the way that Paul shares this is that, um, we are equal in value, and the roles that, that, that God has given us in our marriages, specifically here, are meant for the flourishing uh, of, of the family, are meant for the flourishing of what it means to walk um, as husband and wife, um, and while you're both also trying to follow Jesus. And the posture of each of these, uh, like N.T. Wright said, is one of self-sacrifice, not self-assertion. Self-sacrifice and self-assertion. And this is meant to be the fruit of our lives from the Holy Spirit within us. And so let's look at each of these imperatives and, and how they might play itself out just a little bit. So he says first off uh, in verse 18, 
Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Certainly a verse like this has no controversy in the 21st century um, at all, right? Um, no, we understand when we, when we read this verse, there's a lot of cultural baggage um, that, that comes with this. There's a lot of, I would say, misappropriation and misapplication, and I would also add misunderstanding of, of what this verse is actually talking about. It certainly does um, carry a lot of potentially in our culture from those who aren't believers a negative connotation. But first off, what we need to note that this command is for the believer. It, it will not make sense if we go to our non-Christians friends and try to tell them this picture of what a Christian marriage should look like and be like, hey, you do that too. If they don't know Jesus, if Jesus is not the Lord of their lives, um, and this goes with any command, we don't give, we don't give, uh, we don't hold non-believers to the same standard as believers. We just don't do that because they don't know Jesus. We do. But, but first off, we have to understand that this command is, is for believers. And so if Jesus is Lord of our lives, then it's going to, this is going to have a very specific way of how it plays itself out. If Jesus is not Lord of our lives, then, then it's not for them. And so, but this word submission here, what this means is it's a, voluntarily, it's a voluntary following. It's not a demanding or forceful uh, following that's from the one being submitted to. And it simply means that you're entrusting yourself to the leadership of the authority. So in this case, it's an wives are, are encouraged, are commanded to entrust yourself to the leadership of your husband as your husband entrusts his leadership to Christ. As Christ is the head of really, all people, like, as your husband is following Christ, you are entrusting yourself to the leadership of, you, you, uh, of your husband who is following him. It, and, and, and in a parallel passage in Ephesians 5, um, Paul gives a similar command for wives, but he adds a layer of, of what this is supposed to be a picture of, of what the submission actually might supposed, supposed to look like. He says that uh, wives are, are, are to, sum, to submit to their husbands as, as the church submits to Christ. So as the body of Christ, as we as followers of Jesus submit to Jesus, the hope is that as we are growing and, and knowing and abiding in Jesus, that there is a delightful submission because we know the one that we're following is for our good. The one that we're following is, is, is for our flourishing. And so the, the, the idea is that uh, the submission is, the, is supposed to be this picture of, of a church as well, joyfully entrusting themselves to the leadership of Christ. And, that, and that's the picture that's given in here is when it talks about wives submitting to your husband. It's this entrusting to the leadership of your husband, knowing that he is for the flourishing of you knowing Jesus more. And so it is this laying yourself down. It is this dying to yourself in ways of what might normally be your preferences. Now, this isn't a blind following either. Let me, let me add some, 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 some qualifications here. It's not a blind following. Um, it, 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 it doesn't mean that you don't make decisions together. You actually probably should, as married couples, communicate, make decisions together. Um, but it's, it's a, taking a posture of, of trust as well. It's taking a posture of trusting the authority of, of your husband as he is hopefully walking with Christ. And it also means that um, the husband's authority is never greater than the authority of Christ in your life. And, and what I mean by that. If, if, if a spouse, if a husband is ever trying to lead in a direction towards sin, 
Well, your obligation is first and foremost towards Christ. And so in that case, like, you don't need to submit to someone who's trying to lead you into sin. Or if a husband is pulling his spouse into his own sin, that shows itself out in, in verbal or physical abuse of any kind. There doesn't need to be submission there. And I would even just add, if, if that's like you or you know somebody, like, reach out. Let us know. And so, so, so we have, what, what I'm saying here in this case is that submission to your husband is an entrusting to, of his leadership. But if your spouse is not, is trying to lead you towards something that's sinful, your greater authority is Christ. And so, so that's a bit of a caveat. But, but the picture that's being given here for the wife is, is one of self-sacrifice. Where, where is the self-giving in this command? It's, it's ultimately entrusting the spiritual leadership to your husband. And that oftentimes might rub against some preferences. That oftentimes might not, you know, you, I mean, I, and this, isn't just, this, is, this goes for anybody. All of us like to be in control of situations. All of us want to, 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 to feel like I'm the one in charge. And a lot of times it looks like we have to relinquish control. There's a relinquishing of control. But, it's, but there is an aspect of dying to yourself. In, 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 in being a spouse. Like I said, it's, it's not a, you don't make decisions together. It's not that you have no say. It's none of that. But rather, it's a working together. It's a helping role. It's a, it's you're, uh, working together, but ultimately, it's an entrusting to the leadership of your husband. Now, for husbands, so the command then, so for husbands now is, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So culturally, like when, when, we, when, when, when an outsider looks at this verse, it might almost seem that, man, this seems like a much more culturally palatable command for the husband than it was for the wife. But when actuality, when you look at the, the nuances of this verse, this, for the command for the husband to love his wife, it ought to be costly. So, so, so the husbands here, including myself, that's me, I'm a husband, um, uh, we are to set the spiritual tone for our families. We will set the spiritual tone for our families on how, based on how we're following Jesus, good or bad, right? Um, like I said, this is not to say that our wives don't have influence on our families of, of, of the spiritual nature. Of course they do. Of course they do. But I, God has called husbands to be the head of the household of their families, and he's put the responsibility on them to help cultivate a home in which the people who are in it are flourishing in their identity in Christ. He puts the head, a head on the household of, or the husband as the head of the household, he puts the responsibility on them to help cultivate the spiritual flourishing of the home. And, and how does he tend to do, for us to do this? How does, he, how does God intend for us to cultivate this uh, flourishing? Love. Love. And the word that they use here for love is, is agape. So it's a word we've probably heard before. You may have been familiar. Agape is not necessarily this romantic type of love that, um, that and it's actually used in other places, but rather it's, it's a type of love that is, uh, has a deeper care and concern for the one that you are caring for and loving way more than your own. It's this love that, that lays aside any selfish desires. It dies to self for the sake of the one that is being loved. And so in the case here, husbands are meant to die to themselves daily and lead and love their wives in such a way that is ultimately for their good and for their flourishing. 
It's a setting aside of your preferences. It's a dying to yourself for the good of, the, the, of your spouse. This is also pictured in that Ephesians 5. There's, this is also paralleled in that Ephesians 5 text when Paul says that husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her that he may sanctify her. The picture here is that husbands are to love their wives as Christ has loved us. How has Christ loved us? He died for us. He lived a life of self-sacrifice. So, so, so this love isn't just like a willy-nilly, I love you. It's like, it is a, no, I am going to die to myself. I am laying aside my wills, my wants, whenever they get in the way for what's good for my family. Whenever they get in the way for the good of my wife. It's, it's an ongoing uh, some. Uh, submission to following of Christ and laying down and dying to yourself uh, for the good of your spouse. When we get angry or when our, we're in a fight with our spouse and the temptation to, is to, to want to be defensive and self-justify, we lay it down. When, when, when the temptation to just assert ourselves or forcefully impose our will on our families because, because we want to get what we want, we lay that down. It is a dying to yourself. That's the kind of love that we're talking about. And it says, do not be harsh with your wives. Peter actually says that if you are harsh with your wives, it might actually hinder your prayers. This is how serious this command is for husbands to love your wives. It is a dying to yourself. There is no room for selfishness in our marriages. We are to ongoingly die to ourselves. And so the question for husbands is, how can I die to myself today for the sake of my wife? It, 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 it is a mind-blowing thing for us to think about that our love is supposed to mimic that of Christ. I'm getting ahead of you here. We'll get on that in just a second. But that's the, that's the level of love that we're talking about here, that how husbands are supposed to care for their wives. And then he continues on um, this, 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 how the family unit collectively, everyone, is... Uh, meant to operate in a self-giving way, not in a self-serving way. And he, and he shifts the focus to kids. He shifts the focus to children. He says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And he also couples it as well as fathers. Do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. I know we've got a few kids in the room, and uh, I know this isn't the issue of the kids in here, but sometimes as kids, right, or as teenagers, it's hard, you know, I've heard that some have a hard time obeying their parents. Um, I don't know, just, just not here, right? Um, no. I mean, kids, we're honest, right? Like, there are times where our parents share things with us, tell us to do things, encourage us to do things that we don't want to do, right? <laughs> um, but there's, there's, there's some things that, that, that are on a front on that, of what we want to do, but the encouragement here um, for kids is to obey your parents, to to obey them, and, and for this is a good thing that pleases the Lord. This is a good thing that, that pleases the Lord, because this, this command, too, for those of you who are children here and kids or teenagers, um, man, this also is a dying to yourself. Oftentimes, it, it's easy for us. Obedience um, in the home as kids, I would say it, it can be difficult because our parents seem just so out there. They don't, they don't have a clue, Right? 
But, but in actuality, especially parents who are, are entrusting themselves to the headship of Christ, there is no, I'm not, I'm, I'm speaking as myself here, I'm not a parent, um, but just from friends who are, um, there is no perfect parent out there. But parents who do love, who love Jesus, who are trying to follow him, are going to parent their kids in such a way for the flourishing of them knowing Jesus more. And so kids, it might be hard for you to obey your parents, but if your parents are loving Jesus, if they're trying to, you know, do what's best, I would, I would argue that they're for your good. They're for the good of your flourishing. And so there is an aspect of laying down your own life and wills to, to um, be obedient to them, to do what they say, even when it's not something that you want to do. Um, but on the same side, um, there's this command for fathers, but it, also, it, it can also mean parents as well. I, um, this, it can mean fathers or both parents. There's also this role of how we parent, how we encourage obedience, how we are to help our kids uh, flourish in their identity of Christ, in Christ. Um, there is this aspect of not being harsh with them, not provoking them, not trying to just belittle them so you can just, or just demand obedience. There's an aspect of just not being harsh with him. And so it, it's easy, it's, it's easy um, to, to, to think that as, as we parent, like I said, I'm, 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 not, I'm, I'm kind of speaking outside my realm here because I'm not a parent, but um, it's easy just to want our kids just to obey for the sake of obeying. But we ultimately, we want obedience because disobedience, and I heard this in a sermon the other day, disobedience is ultimately encouraging disobedience to God. We want our parents, and we want to help encourage obedience in such a way that we help them know that we want their flourishing in Christ. Help them to flourish in who they, who they are. And both parents have a huge role in that. Both parents have a huge role in that. And so with each of these commands, um, the, the, the flourishing of the Christian family ultimately looks like dying to ourselves. It ultimately looks like dying to our own wills, and rather, rather than looking for our own good, we're looking for the good of those around us. And there's this weird paradox that happens is when we are dying to ourselves, when we are living marriages of self-sacrifice in the, in, the, in the ways and commands that Paul has given us here, there's this odd thing that happens that we actually find our own needs getting met. We actually find more joy and satisfaction when we're dying to ourselves. If everyone is dying to ourselves in our marriages, then the, the ironic thing is we actually find ourselves receiving what we really want and, and, and are actually flourishing. And it's this weird thing. But let's get honest for a moment. Let's, 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 let's be real for a second. We all do this perfectly, don't we? Yeah, I'm being sarcastic. Uh, there is an, the, 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 this aspect of dying to ourselves in our marriages and, and, and whatever specific role that Paul gives, that's hard. Um, in my own marriage, the reality is in my own marriage, I'm a lot more selfish uh, than I would like to admit. I want to do what I want to do, um, even if it's not for the best good of my wife, more than, than I would like to admit. Um, the reality is, um, kids and teenagers, um, it's probably hard obeying your parents at times. It's hard, as you think about your world and where you're at, it might be hard to think that they are actually for your good. It's hard. The, the, the reality is, um, we, have, we might have a hard time 
um, to not see our spouses as just a means to get what we want. The reality is, um, for those of you who are single parents in here, the reality is you may feel tired because you're trying to fill both roles of father and mother. And you're also trying to follow Jesus at the same time, and you're tired. The, 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 real, the reality is all of us can think of these commands, and we can think about where we've blown it, where we're not meeting expectations, where we're not meeting the standards. Where, we, we are, I, I don't know about you, but I think for, for a lot of us, we are more aware of how we're not dying to ourselves um, than we actually need to be. We're more aware uh, of our just inadequacies as a husband, as a wife, as a child, as a single person. We're more aware of our inadequacies uh, in all those things. But we want to remember, we want to go back to what we talked about at the beginning. You see, the temptation here, I would say for a lot of us, is, okay, I need to do better. I need to try harder. I'm not going to do this thing anymore. I'm not going to be selfish. And the easy thing for us to do, the easy thing for us to do is to make a list and try to be harder and be better. That's the easy thing. But that's not the sustaining thing. If we want to be better spouses, if we want to be better growing as being obedient to our parents, we do not need to look to ourselves, but we need to look to Jesus. We have to remember that even in your imperfection as a spouse or as a child, you are still chosen, holy, beloved. The best step that any of us can take this morning towards growing as a spouse or growing uh, as a kid is to ask the Holy Spirit for help and help, help, allow him to help us live lives that show the self-sacrifice that Christ has shown us. We, we need God in our marriages. We need his help. Oftentimes, what the best response is for us to be a better spouse in this moment isn't trying to make a t- list. I'm not saying those are bad things, but ultimately, a lot of times, the best thing to start and that look like is dying to yourself just might look like repentance. And, and, and it's confessing to God where you need help. And his word says he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So, 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 so the temptation is to look to yourself, to try to be a better, all these things, but look to Jesus. Look to the one who perfectly embodied self-sacrifice for the sake of the undeserving. Look to the one who set aside um, being in heaven with God, with the Father, who, who came to the, this world lowly, died, died so as sinners, we might have a chance and shot of life. We might actually be able to be invited into, our, into this family that we didn't deserve to be invited into. And we look to him, ultimately knowing that, as Hebrews says, that he is able to give us help in the time of need. So, 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 so growing, the big point, the, the, the big point of this, as, as growing as a spouse, growing as a husband, growing as a wife, growing as a kid, Growing um, into being a spouse that is more dying to ourselves um, ultimately looks like dependency on Jesus and abiding in him. Something we say all the time. We want to grow as a spouse, we abide in Jesus. We want to learn to, to, to be self-sacrificial in our marriage, we abide in Jesus. And so that's where we need to start. We need to be abiders 
We need to be a buyers before we are parents. We need to be a buyers before we are husbands. We need to be a buyers before we are wives. We need to be a buyers before we are kids. Because it's in abiding in Jesus and knowing our Savior and knowing our Father and knowing our the one who lavishes grace on us and knowing, letting him remind us day in and day out that we're chosen, holy, and beloved. It's in knowing him and abiding in him and his Holy Spirit working through us and which transforms our hearts that enables us to be better spouses, that enables us to walk in the things that Paul's encouraging us to walk in. So as we end our time this morning, and Ben, you guys can go ahead and come on up. As we enter into this time of communion, um, we get to be reminded that we are chosen, holy, and beloved because of the death of Christ. When he broke his body for us, when he spilled his blood for us, he did so knowing that, uh, that um, we would have life in it. We have found our life in his, in his death. And, and wherever you are on the spectrum this morning, of how you feel like you are as a spouse, or just as you are as a Christian, um, know that if you are in Christ, that, that, that everything you need is available. He's giving you his Holy Spirit in you to help you. He's giving you an abundance of grace, grace and mercy to help you, to encourage you. And ultimately, he's given you himself in which you can abide with him daily. And, and trust that you are able to get everything you need in him. So as we partake in communion today, um, reflect, think, repent, confess. If you're with your spouse, pray together, take together. And we have, we have stations in the back and also in the front. But use this time, use this time to remind yourself of who you are. Fight the temptation to be a better spouse but to, in looking at yourself, but rather look to Jesus. Look to the one who can actually help you in, in the most long-term way. And so God, thank you for this morning. Lord, would you help us abide in you, Lord Jesus? Would you help us as Christians, Lord, as who are aware of our weaknesses and brokenness? God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, know of our need for you. God, I do pray that families in here, that, that, that husbands, Lord, you would help them learn to more and more what it means to love their wives as you loved us. Lord, I pray that you would help wives um, grow in the trusting of their husband's leadership and, and, and trust, God, um, that you're for their good. God, I pray that you would help kids. I pray, Lord, wherever we are on this spectrum, I pray that you would just help us um, look to you, Lord Jesus. And God, for those of us who in here are just, um, they're single or a single parent, Lord, I pray that you would just provide the extra measure of grace. God, whatever, whatever things of brokenness that they're even feeling right now, whatever just, um, just sadness or whatever just longings or whatever things that they're feeling right now, Lord, I pray that you would help them know that you're enough in the midst of those things. So Lord, we love you. We praise your son's name. Amen.